Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Senior Administrator at the Hendrick Center. And today we're going to be talking about marriage and the mission of God. We are joined here today by Marcus Lloyd, hello, the Director of External Focus That's right. at Wood Creek Church in Richardson, Texas, yeah. and we're also joined via Skype by Mark and Priscilla Young. Mark serves as the President of Denver Seminary, and Priscilla has been serving alongside him for 37 years, correct? Or is that... Is it long? Yeah, all right. Well, we are so thankful to have you all here. And I think just the way that I'd like to go ahead and get started is to just have you all have an opportunity to introduce yourselves and how you came to be thinking about the mission of God and kind of involved in this area. So, Marcus, let's, I'm sorry, Mark and Priscilla, let's go ahead and start with you. Okay. All right. That's fine. Yeah, I, I would say from our earliest years, both in Priscilla's case, her childhood, and for me, in my early life as a Christian, uh, we've always thought that being a Christian meant and gave purpose to being engaged in the lives of people who don't know Jesus. So, from my earliest years as a believer, through a campus ministry, being Christian meant telling people about Christ. So, I've always been externally focused and oriented in the way I think about what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Priscilla's story is a little different, but mm-hmm. still nonetheless focused in mission. Yeah, I grew up as a missionary kid in Ethiopia. And um, actually when I was older and out of college, I just determined that I wasn't gonna marry anybody that wasn't already you know, kind of headed in the direction of mission. So when Mark and I met, that was one of our first conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, that kind of ties in the whole marriage and the mission of God thing. But then for you, the mission of God as a paradigm really became right. more so, real during your time teaching at Dallas Seminary. That's yeah. correct, yeah. So we be- became much more engaged in thinking about the mission of God as a theological and hermeneutical paradigm in the mid-90s, early 90s. After we had been missionaries, actually. <laughs> right, yeah, we'd been missionaries for 13, 14 years in Europe, mm-hmm. Eastern Europe. And so I began to pour myself into this new emerging field of biblical studies and theological reflection around this uh, concept of the mission of God that was formulated in Latin by most folks, even beginning back in the 50s, Missio Dei, right? Mm -hmm. And then that has become really the, the, the way I read scripture, the way I think about my life, the way I think about our lives together, Mm -hmm. and that forms the framework then for the uh, chapter that we put in the book. Mm -hmm. Okay, and Marcus, how about you? How did you get involved in this conversation, the mission of God, external focus? Sure, yeah, it's funny because I don't even know if I can fully pinpoint it as much as, uh, you know, very much similar to them. It's just kind of been in my psyche, just kind of where I've been my entire life. I don't know if it's maybe one of those things when you get downloaded your spiritual gifts that God is saying, I need you to be about this. And maybe even right. personality-wise, it's this idea that I, I like to be able to have a target, <laughs> you know what I mean? I like to know what I'm heading for. And so what's the purpose? Why am I doing all of these things? And then just when I found that purpose and understanding of how to live my life uh, as much as I can for making God's name famous, I just desired and, and experienced that. I think I desired that for everyone around me, you know what I mean? And so when I run into anybody, I'm going, 
and I feel like everybody's always looking for a purpose. They're looking for this, like, what right. mission should I be on? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I love being able to express where I am. I, I'm looking for people who are running in that direction. Uh, so it's just a passion of mine. I love it. And so over the past couple of years, I've had the opportunity to have it as a vocational part of my ministry where I am trying to engage in the mission of God and lead other people toward it as well. And that's that's been just a great blessing. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, you, Mark, you all already introduced the concept of the mission of God as a theological, biblical, um, you know, just framework, really, meta narrative that mm-hmm. people tend to look at or are starting to look at scripture through. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of people, it is well known in our circles, I feel like, but maybe some of our listeners might not be as familiar with the term or they may have heard it and not fully know what all is carried in the term. So I'd like to have us walk through, before we get to mission, I'm sorry, marriage and the place in the mission of God, I would like us to just talk a little bit on the mission of God itself and what we should be thinking of when we hear that term. So Marcus, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. How do you think about the mission of God? What comes to mind when you think through that? Yeah, what I always think about the mission of God is I, I constantly am asking myself, why am I still here? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm constantly thinking like if it was about it, when I when if if it was about just coming to know Christ and being saved, like I would be zapped up to heaven immediately, right? Mm-hmm. If it was about just knowing more about God, like I would be zapped up to heaven immediately because mm-hmm. that's the best place to know about God. If it was about just creating a community of believers that are loving and caring and growing together, like I'd be zapped up to heaven because that's the best place to do that. It's the most, uh, it, it's it's the most advantageous place to do that. So I, I constantly am thinking like, well, why am I still here? I must mm-hmm. be here for a reason and to be able to look at my life uh, my skill set uh, my my position where I am where I'm placed I just constantly see people in the Bible like taking advantage of where they're placed to be about God's mission to be about like moving pe- moving people toward God and so from a mission of God standpoint I think that's my first place that I and when I when I preach I'm always asking why are you still here <laughs> you got to be about something and the person who left you here is Jesus so what did he want you to do let's do that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Mark and Priscilla, what what all what would you all add to that? What do you think we should have in mind when we hear that term? I think everybody starts with some set of assumptions about God when they pick up the scripture. So I say it this way: everybody starts somewhere when they read the Bible. Uh, I personally believe that being willing to critique and ask questions about where you start when you read the Bible is far more important hermeneutically than the individual details of passages and the exegetical Mm -hmm. skills that we learn to break Mm -hmm. scripture down. So basically what we're saying when we start thinking about God or we start thinking or we start thinking about the Bible and what it is, we see it as the story of God's redemptive engagement with humanity. Mm -hmm. That is that the whole story of scripture Mm -hmm. is the story of how God engages humans and with a desire to be known and worshipped by all. Mm -hmm. So when you set that as a paradigm for how you read Scripture, you begin to frame every verse in the Bible, every chapter in the Bible, every story in the Bible with that basic understanding that God's engagement with humanity is for the purpose of accomplishing His redemptive mission. So that's why we start by saying, Mission is what the Bible is all about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so from that starting point, you create a cohesive picture of your own life, as Marcus was talking about, mm-hmm. and a 
ultimately, as we'll talk about later, a picture for your marriage, the way you relate to your neighbors, the way you raise your kids. Right. It's all framed by that same basic assumption of what God's about in the world and our place in it. And it can be almost like a lens through which it you is the lens. Yeah. absolutely. Lens. Yeah, and I, I use different lens. metaphors for that. You mm -hmm. could imagine, say, a welding mask, right? So you put a welding mask in front of your face. I know that's a metaphor from maybe not everyone's background, but <laughs> I think they're still welding. You're all right. Yeah, so I'm not familiar with any of that. Your face, it limits your field of vision, but it also has a colored lens. So we're admitting that everyone reads scripture and thinks about God through a lens. Mm -hmm. The question is, have we critiqued it? Mm -hmm. Have we actually asked questions of it and tested it? through the whole narrative of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And we believe that once we have done that, we come back to this very powerful concept of God's redemptive mission in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, Mark, are you talking about you're, you testing the lens? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Wow. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay, so looking through that lens, right. where in Scripture, what are, you know, are a lot of people who are associated with DTS are very biblically centered and want to know, you know, where in the Bible we find things. So where specifically in Scripture, though we definitely see it in the overarching narrative of Scripture, what are the passages that you all look to and say, hey, we really see it showing up here strongly? Uh, Marcus, let's go ahead and start. Uh, you. <laughs> sorry, sorry, you got the theological people on the line, <laughs> right? And you're like, let's start with you, the guy who is they're not. Gonna clean up, Marcus. They're gonna it's they're gonna right. clean up all my stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think. Uh, look, and, and I'm gonna uh, in some ways potentially just grab onto some stuff. I'm sure that they they've they talked about because uh, I, I read their their chapter on this in their book. And I think, man, you can just kind of start from the very beginning, <laughs> right? You just yes, in Genesis, absolutely. like it's it's amazing, like because you kind of you think whatever God was doing in the beginning uh, was obviously intentional and everything that he was trying to set up and let us know about he was doing from the beginning so he's not gonna he's not gonna create us and have us go through stuff and then midway through our existence he's going like, now I'm gonna give you the mission of what I need you to do right like so from the very beginning because he's a good guy he's a good leader he's not gonna give you that mission so I think and man I know you Mark and Priscilla you've talked about this right like the just the uh, the creation right creation of, of what that looks like but then creating male and female and being able to say okay here's what you need to be doing you need to be uh, you know filling the earth and subduing it, right? So this, this is your mission. So where it comes now is, okay, so from a lens standpoint, so what does that mean uh, uh, in my lens? And so that, that would be like the first biblical space. And then I think you kind of have to keep repeating that through uh, the Abrahamic covenant, like when he's dealing with Abraham and he's saying, okay, here's what I need you to be doing, right? I need you to go and, 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 and bless all the nations, right? And then it's Jesus coming in and saying, hey, I need you to go and make disciples of all nations, right? And then even he reiterates, I think, the mission of, uh, or the, the engagement of what his mission and vision was by just giving us a picture of the church in Revelation and saying, I, here's what it's supposed to look like at the end. So let's go back to the beginning and see what you got to do to kind of get to that point. Mm -hmm. That's my thought. Yep. Yeah, I you think when you look at the story arc of Scripture, right, you, we always start with creation. God is never known apart from being creator. Then you move toward through the fall, and then that sets up God, the need for God to intervene, to begin that process of redeeming humanity and bringing humanity back to himself. He does that through the creation of a people, and that's what Marcus was talking about, mm -hmm. the establishment of the people of God for the sake of all peoples. Mm -hmm. That's the Abrahamic right. Uh, covenant, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then you you see that then God enters into a process of shaping His people hmm. for the accomplishment of His right. great That's good. mission mm-hmm. that all people know Him. So everything God does to His people, for His people, with His people, <clears throat> even against His people, is for the sake of His mission yeah. to all peoples. Mm-hmm. Then that culminates in the the coming of Messiah and the, the incarnation of Christ, mm-hmm. mission of Christ in the world, and flows further into the great culmination of the new heavens and the new earth yeah. when the reign of God is perfectly revealed. So, mm-hmm. you know, we would latch on to passages like the creation mandate, like the establishment of the people of God in Genesis 12, mm-hmm. some marvelous passages in both the law, as well as in the historical books, as well as in the Psalms that talk about God's purpose for all people, right. focus all of it, all of Scripture, <clears throat> focusing on the on the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, and then through that, this, again, the reshaping of a people for mission until the culmination. That's the way we put it together. Yeah, and I think even one of the things that we didn't uh, go back to in the creation narrative is that the when what Marcus said about that. Um, uh, God tells the humans to uh, be fruitful and multiply and mm-hmm. fill the earth. And really, it's about being God's representatives on earth. Mm-hmm. It's about reigning, ruling, and what was the other? Reigning mm-hmm. and representing, representing God. God. Mm-hmm. Ooh, three hours, I like um, it. <laughs> the presence of God, reigning as God's co-regents mm-hmm. and representing God throughout the earth. And so it's not just about you know, having kids, it's about having kids who spread throughout the earth right. to represent the Creator God mm-hmm. yeah. and to take His His uh, presence throughout the earth. Right. So, I think it starts there. And then everything you asked, you know, what passages would you point to? I think when you read the Bible through the lens of the mission of God, yeah. every passage right, get it. to it, mm-hmm. and you start seeing these things leap out of the Scripture mm-hmm. that... Um, that's it. Go along, you know, with this whole this whole idea. Yeah. That's the perfect language. It leaps out of Scripture. So, fundamentally, my early training in, in the Bible, reading the Bible, had the Bible divided into different books, right? So the old the old the Old Testament was about God and Israel, mm-hmm. and then. Now we're saying that God's eternal purpose is always for all peoples, Mm -hmm. and the creation of a people, Israel, is framed within that great eternal purpose. Mm -hmm. So I I did begin to see God's concern for Gentiles throughout the Old Testament that I had never seen before. Once I began reading with this lens, man, I love that. I love again that lens. It makes me think of the old movie National Treasure. I know I'm dating myself in that sense, but there's this point where Nicholas Cage is reading the Declaration of Independence, and he's got these crazy glasses on, and he keeps adjusting the lens, and he realizes that when he puts the lens in a certain way, all these things kind of pop up—the secret mm-hmm. code, if you will—and like Priscilla yeah. was talking yeah. about. Yeah. I think when you are on mission and 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 and. and trying to go after the mission of God, you're right. So much of that stuff just becomes alive and new. And it, for me, it gives me like this sense of uh, being connected to something so much bigger than myself, which is yes. a sense of yes. excitement about the gospel, about the about living life as a Christian. And I think there's a, there's a lack of excitement, I think, in some areas of the Christendom. Uh, and I think part of it is this this lack of really understanding of the mission of God. And even a fear of like, am I even know how to do the mission of God? And, and Mark, you pointed out really well that God, of course, he's not just going to give you the mission and then not give you the tools to do it. But there's this period yes. of time where he's shaping the people of God to do it. And he's giving tools along the way. I mean, Jesus... Not to not to you know delineate or, or you know de, what is it 
make it work, make it less. Uh, uh, but yeah, minimize. Thank you. <laughs> Not to minimize what Jesus is doing, but Jesus and the entrance of Jesus is a tool in even shaping us to be better at the mission of God. The Holy mm-hmm. Spirit is a tool to help us even shape us more about being able to go after the mission of God. God has not left us alone in this. And I think that's a big piece that people have to be reminded of. Yeah. So how do you all think this concept, so this lens that we both can look at scripture and really, as we've already mentioned, look at our own lives and, and our own purpose, like you were just talking about, how do you think that differs from the current lens in the church how to you know how to what what does that bring up that we're currently missing Mm. what where are we currently that we would need this different lens and really kind of this shift that would put us more on track um i'm going to speak to that real quickly i think um what you you know you said when we look at our own purpose i think we've kind of been Mm -hmm. schooled to look at our own purpose instead of looking at the purpose of God. Right. You know, we hear, I mean, it's like, find your gifts, develop your gifts, use your gifts, instead of right. how do I fit into this overarching mission of God? So I think part of it is just the whole thing about individuality in our culture yes. and how we're, we're told to, you know, kind of develop ourselves instead of first being told, okay, let's look at the mission of God and then see how I fit into God's mission. And certainly there's individual ways that we all fit because God has designed us so beautifully and individually That's right. um, and gifted us and, and trained us and talented us and the whole bit. But um, I think we need to shift our focus to understanding the mission of God and where we fit in that bigger picture rather than looking at ourselves first. Yeah, and I would I would voice the same thing by saying, uh, as evangelicals, we flow out of a history of revivalism, and that revivalism is all about a gospel of personal benefit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven. That gospel of personal benefit becomes then the lens through which we read everything. Right. So imagine reading the creation narrative, that God's in yeah. this to make, so I'll be happier. Yeah, or even holier. Or even holier, exactly. Right. I think if we are willing to step back from our own very individualistic and very self-focused worldview and see that that we read scripture and think about God from the paradigm of a gospel of personal benefit, then the mission of God actually calls us to something else. Hmm. It calls us to a life of sacrifice and selflessness for a mission bigger than our own personal benefit. That's a radical departure from the way I hear most of the gospel framed in, and teaching of the Bible mm-hmm. in in many, many places in the U.S. Yeah, so, man, that's good. So shifting the conversation, just because you had a wonderful <laughs> segue into yeah. the conversation on marriage's role in this discussion, but let's keep looking at it from our highly individualized, personalized, mm-hmm. self-focused mm-hmm. society. How is the church and how are we currently looking at marriage through that lens, how do we currently deal with it, I'm, and what does that look like as, in our current treatment of marriage? Marcus, why don't you go ahead and 
Yeah, well, I was, uh, you know, my wife, uh, she disciples uh, young ladies, uh, and many of those young ladies are not married yet. And what she's finding is when you talk about marriage, they're, they're, they're thinking about it from themselves. Like, mm-hmm. I need this from me. This is going to, it, in some ways, this is what I need and those kind of things. And she's constantly going, this marriage is not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. Uh, it's not even about you and your, and your husband, right? It's about God, right? It's got to go. It's, it cannot terminate uh, on your self-satisfaction. It cannot, it cannot terminate on uh, your couple and your family satisfaction and what you're trying to accomplish. It's got to terminate on what's God asking me to do. And so I think the church, because, you know, again, because in some ways we, we constantly breed this in ourselves, you know, it just happens from time to time in culture. But um, I think we have taken marriage and kind of even beyond, I think we've done a good job in some way of saying it's not about you, but there is an aspect in where we say, hey, we're going to make sure it's at least you and your, you and your spouse and you and your family that, that your marriage is happy and we're going to give classes on that kind of stuff with it but without the what's the next step it can't stop there right so um, i think we've got to keep going on beyond that and i know that's what you guys talk a lot about over there too and so what do you all mark and priscilla what do you all see as the relationship between marriage and the mission of god well i think um following up on what marcus said um i think when we're thinking about marriage we need to ask ourselves how is my, how would I better be able to fulfill the mission of God Hmm. married to this person? Yeah, go for it. And I would single. And I was just having a conversation recently with a woman who's who's dating a guy, and she's asking herself that question. And someone else, a friend of hers said, how do you see your ministry? And she's already in ministry, Mm -hmm. um, in vocational ministry. How would you see your ministry enhanced and made even more effective for the mission of God by marrying him? And she couldn't answer the question. Yes. So she's really thinking very seriously, like, Mm -hmm. do I need to break this off? Is this what God has for me? Um, And I don't think we even, a lot of us don't even think to tell people to ask that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, as I read marriage books, and um, Mark doesn't read marriage books, I give him cliff notes of marriage books. <laughs> my husband and I work. I love the cliff notes version. I need to install I mean, this into my marriage. I think he's read two in our married life. <laughs> um, but uh, when I read marriage books, I'm always looking to see if they take that final step yeah. about the mission of marriage. Mm. And um, I... I very rarely find it. Like some really good marriage books have come out recently in the last like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple that I've read. And, you know, they're, the marriage books tend to go from, you know, it's not about your happiness. It's about God using you in each other's lives to make mm-hmm. you more holy right. and yeah. more conform to the image of Christ. And that's absolutely true. But then there's that for what. Right, yeah. And that's right. what I'm not generally seeing. That's right. It's that outward focus of that our marriage is for something bigger than our personal holiness, and so forth. So, yeah. mm-hmm. why do we why do we why do we stop there? Do you think you know what I mean? Why why do we stop at that place of marriage? Maybe. Well, we tend to stop at it in our personal discipleship too. Correct. Okay. I mean, I we have I all like this. That's what we do. You know, personally. we don't even use the word discipleship too much anymore. We use mm. spiritual formation, yeah. but. Um, you know, we have all this literature and all this teaching, and you guys have classes, and we have classes mm. on spiritual formation, right. and it's very internally focused. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but why? Why are we to be spiritually formed? Why are we to be discipled? So that we can disciple, so that we can pour out ourselves for the sake of 
the kingdom of God for the sake of Christ in the lives of others um, so that the gospel can be made known. So, I mean, that's that's the ultimate so what. That's right. But sometimes we kind of stop before we get to that. And sometimes I think we stop, even personally, because we feel like we have to be at a certain level of mm. perfection or sanctification, holiness, before we really can turn outward and say, hey, we have something to offer. You know, I mean, I know that's a positive way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah. But I think part of it is people think that sure. they need to be at a certain level, either in their marriage or in their own pers- mm. in their own personal walk to be able to offer anything. And really, I've, I feel like the whole point is for people to see the brokenness, you know, for the world to see the brokenness, for the nations to see that and to see how Christ is changing you from the very beginning. You don't start from a perfect place and say, hey, come join me in my perfection. It's, you know, starting from the place of just authenticity and saying, hey, this is where we are and the Lord is working in our lives, you know, Mm -hmm. and come along for the ride. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Yeah, I think if we're willing to say that the way God reveals himself to humanity is as redeemer, we see all through scripture how God uses the brokenness of humanity to make himself known as redeemer in ways that wouldn't have been possible unless there had been that brokenness, right? Yeah. So he makes himself known through his people Israel as he judges them and sends them into exile, and and he brings them back. He's their redeemer as he brings them out of Egypt as broken people. And, of course, the ultimate example is the brokenness of Christ on the cross, mm-hmm. where redemption is accomplished. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that idea that we have to be perfect, we get to get our lives together before we can ever talk with someone else about our walk with God or reveal God in a powerful way is really a deception, I would argue, mm-hmm. from from a culture that thinks we have to do everything perfectly before we can mm-hmm. uh, before we can be effective yeah but in, in brokenness god is made known well and i think you know I, I i almost you know turn the light back on myself and other people in my position who, who get to preach on a on a regular basis in front of lots of people and constantly reminding myself like it's so easy to go look at how awesome my marriage is doing whenever i get up on stage you know what i mean and kind of go hey this is what you're looking for and so i think there's there's part of it that we create even as we preach where we yeah. we show hey we don't have problems in our marriage as pastors so you can't have them either and so we create these places where you know, it's, it's talked about only perfect people are allowed.
about, right? And so, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think there's there's a yeah. sense of even in the style of preaching that that I and others have to communicate is like, we got to lead with a limp, you know what I mean? We got to come in and be like Paul. It's like, nice. I will boast in my weaknesses because it's only in those weaknesses that God's power is made perfect, mm-hmm. right? And then he it becomes about the mission of God because it, the, the reason why I'm not telling you about the issues in my marriage is because I think everything terminates on my marriage and the and success of my marriage. There you go. You know what I'm saying? And so what I need to recognize is that my weaknesses and my my faults in my marriage are things that point to something greater that even in those things, there is this right. God that has loved me and redeemed me, right? Oh, so so it's just a practice and is using me mm-hmm. despite those things and in lieu of those things are even through those things. So uh, it's just a good testament for, for me as, as, a, as a pastor and minister of the gospel, you know, on a Sunday morning. You keep preaching like that, we're going to start talking back to you while you preach. Oh, come on now. Please come and do that. Please come and do that. I will respond well today. It's only going to make it worse. It's only going to make it worse. Mark and Priscilla, in your, in your chapter in this forthcoming book from Moody Publishers on the theology of marriage, and in your, your chapter specifically is speaking on marriage and the mission of God, you unpack several biblical themes that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. help us understand this. Can you just discuss those? I believe it was sure. image of God. It was the first one. We've already touched on that a little bit, but maybe you could start there. Yeah, I think the uh, well, the three main points in Scripture where we talk about this, as we could talk about it throughout, but we talk about the uh, image of God, and then we talk about the people of God, and then we talk about the mystery of God, right? Mm -hmm. So the image of God goes back to this idea of what is that language of image, and what did it mean in the the ancient Near East? And the foundation is that image was a physical representation of a ruling monarch. That's what that word Mm -hmm. was. That's how that word was used in the ancient Near East. So when God says, we are, as humans, we are the image of God, we're by, in essence, we are to represent and reveal the ruler, the creator, throughout all the earth. And when he says, fill the earth, he means there needs to be lots of you. Yeah. And all of creation needs to be filled. And so then you get to the, to the second chapter of Genesis, and we see how God's going to design humanity to be able to fill the earth with a representation of who God is so that all can worship him. And that's the creation of male and female in marriage. So mm-hmm. that's where we start. It's a foundational concept of what it means to be human and how being human is, in fact, the foundation of how God reveals himself mm-hmm. um, in, in creation. So we think marriage is, it's clear that humanity couldn't, that Adam couldn't have filled the earth with image bearers. So God creates a, a, a couple so that they can fulfill that mission. So we start there. And then we look at the nation, the creation of the people of God through Abraham, once again with that very strong statement that God creates a people for the sake of all peoples mm-hmm. from Genesis 12:3, And we simply look at the fact that marriage and family become the foundation of how the people of God are to live as a nation and reveal God to the nations. If the family breaks down, the nation falls apart. Mm-hmm. And so marriage and the nurturance of children within the family unit become very much a part of how God chooses to build his nation so that his nation makes him known to the nations. And then we go to the, the mystery of God from Ephesians 5, which really focuses on the relationship between Christ and the church. And we simply say that that relationship is one of an initiative, God taking the initiative, and the church responding. And in that give and take of the God taking the initiative and the church responding. 
the husband loving and the wife responding, there's a beautiful picture of how God relates to humanity. Those are the three main points we make. Yeah, yeah, and I really appreciated the your discussion on having children and the focus on the family. Oh my, I didn't oh, you mean did to it. say that. You totally did <laughs> <Sorry>. it. <laughs> they will but come. They're going to get their money now. Having, ha- and maybe it's just because I am on the younger, less mature end of the spectrum mm. and having grown up in such an individualized society and culture in church, quite frankly, mm-hmm. and where, where discussion on the importance of the family and of maybe even of having children seems to be definitely not, I don't know, not the popular thing to say, it seems, and, and not considered very important. And so it was just very interesting when I read you that part of your chapter thinking through, man, that really is a part of God's mission. Mm-hmm. And sure. that's something I feel like maybe we've lost. I don't know. What do you all think? Marcus, what do you think about that? Are you saying that uh, you feel like the church is is not as um, vocal vocal about having children yes. and those things? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like I hadn't, I don't know if I've really pondered that from a, an idea of if we've talked much about it. I remember I, I was a children's minister for about eight years and, mm-hmm. um, and, and talking about discipleship of children was kind of a faux pas at times, right? Mm-hmm. Because the idea was, hey, I'm bringing them to you. You're supposed to do this work, right? And so we would always be pushing back Deuteronomy 6. I was like, no, this is, we are a partner with you along this, but you're one of your, one of your, you know, very uh, in-house versions of discipleship is with your children, right? Mm-hmm. And again, the problem, the, the, the conversation is is a great conversation. We should be encouraging people to have children. In fact, I, my, my wife used, uh, she had a friend who was starting to have children and this, this, this couple wanted girls and she was getting nothing but boys and my wife would quote this sort of thing like, hey, in the Bible it talks about if you have boys are like quivers and arrows and you know, and of course it could be just children period, right? But we have two boys so we think of them as arrows that we like to shoot away lots of times. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but 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 this idea that again submit uh, you know fulfilling the mission of God is filling the earth right so procreation is a is a key proponent of that from the very beginning uh, the, the 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 discussion becomes more difficult obviously with those who are trying to do it and mm-hmm. cannot Absolutely. and so because and possibly single, because we've yeah. seen so much of that people having such problems having children that I think sometimes the church backs off when there's a when there's something like hey people are gonna feel bad if we talk about having children mm-hmm. and what that means to their discipleship and moving forward if they can't have them so maybe that's part of why the church doesn't talk about it but I, I do think it's biblically I mean I, I again I think about Deuteronomy 6 where it's like impress these things on your children and write them on the wall. It's got to be a part of the discipleship process, and it works with. It's part of the mission of God. He wants to. He wants you to make more people who will make more of Him. Right. So. Mm-hmm. And I would add, Marcus. Excuse me, sweetie. Mm-hmm. I would add that when you get to the passages related to the people of God, the nation of Israel, mm-hmm. clearly there had to be a stability within those family units, right. and there had to be children in order to have that stability generation after generation. I see. That stability of the nation and the and the plenty of the nation, the flourishing of the nation, was never just for the nation's sake, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. for the nation to be strong and flourish, and therefore and thereby testify to the God of the people of Israel, right. they had to have generational perpetuity. And that's why you have such mm-hmm. emphasis on the land, right. the land being. <clears throat> passed from generation to generation, Mm -hmm. why you have such an emphasis on families remaining loyal to one another within those, all that that language of the law and the the narrative stories. So what what leads ultimately to Israel's exile? 
the breakdown breakdown of of David's family family and the breakdown Mm -hmm. of Solomon's family. And so what a perfect example of how the family, once the family begins to dissolve, the people of God begin to be dispersed and judged um, throughout. Mm -hmm. Now you see that breakdown all through the narrative and God's constantly stepping back in, but because he was king, because uh, David and Solomon were king, kings of Israel, the, the breakdown of their family is magnified in its um, damage mm-hmm. to not only the people, but to the testimony of God right. among the there nations. It is. There it is. Yeah, and I think going back just a little bit, um, it's about the family being participating in the mission of God. It's not about having kids or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all about, we had three kids, and we're really glad that our kids are having grandchildren. Yes. <laughs> That's great. But... Um, I don't think we can make this prescriptive right. to saying we should be encouraging people to, you know, have kids. I, I think we need to kind of step back from that a little, um, because then you're then you're you are saying, well, singles and people who choose not to have kids or who no. can't have kids, right. you're kind of putting them in a little bit of a different position. No. I think we need to step back and say. Family and children are a part of the mission of God, and that's how we should see ourselves. Right, right. Not that we, sh- you know, not not take it as a prescriptive so mm-hmm. about yeah, having absolutely. kids. I just want to kind of put that qualification in sure. there because that's not really our point. Mm-hmm. Our point is that when we have our kids and our families, we shouldn't be family centric right. or children centric. Mm-hmm. We should be mission of God centric as a family. And, you know, in our culture, we're very children-centric. When we moved to Dallas from living overseas as a missionary family, we were really shocked about how families were so, um, I mean, parents were orbiting around their children. Mm -hmm. And the children's activities and the children's needs and wants were the central part of the family. And I, I mean, I remember saying to our kids, kids, we're sorry to tell you this, but you are not the center of our world. Right. Jesus is our center, and as a family, we're going to make our family work so that Jesus is our center. So I think that's really what we're saying about the, I mean, even the family in Israel and families today. We need to make the mission of God our center, not our family unit our center. Mm you know, to the exclu- to the inward instead of the outward. Mm-hmm. And thank you for adding that qualification. Yeah. It actually, you got me because I was about to ask a question about <laughs> singles and how to handle people like that with this conversation and what you were saying about um, encouraging everybody to do it together. And, and actually, even my husband and I, uh, my husband is the minister to singles at a church here in Dallas. And um with the young adults, it, oftentimes, you know, they're wanting to get married and we're mm-hmm. trying to yeah. have discussions, particularly when those opportunities <clears throat> just don't seem to be presenting themselves. And right. when we say, you know, it's not just through children that you can fill the earth, right, right, you know, right, yeah. go, no. go make disciples and exactly. you can yes. duplicate yourself through discipleship and, you know, I mean, not and just... I mean, children who are already in the church, but also your coworkers and mm-hmm. everything, you know, it's, it, the command is greater than just children. Yes. yes. So, there are a couple of people in the Bible who are single who, who did really good work for the mission I mean, of God, Jesus? I think. Yeah. I think, I don't know, Jesus, Paul, you know what I mean? I think, I think there's a couple of, <laughs> couple of cats that worked it out, you know. So. But how, I mean, <laughs> taking that a little bit further, how have you, have you thought through and how have you thought through the role of singles, widows, divorced individuals, you know, the the not 
perfect picture of how of how God maybe originally intended it. I don't know. He's singles. I don't even know that I would say that. But how would you think through this issue with and and honestly, most of the people in our society at this point are single or classified as single, sure. the majority. So how do we how do they think through their part in this mission? So I think that. Again, we're back to that question of do we think first as individuals or think of ourselves as individuals or do we think of ourselves as part of a larger body or community? So as individuals, all humans are the image of God, bear the image of God. And as the redeemed, that as individuals, we bear that image more clearly. So all of us have the opportunity to reveal the Redeemer as we live out our lives as individuals, whether it's singles, widows, or in whatever place we find ourselves. I think, however, the the way Scripture is written and what God does, He creates a people. He creates a nation that are called Israel. He creates a people called the church. Mm-hmm. And so singles and others, uh, all people who are confessing the one true God, are made a part of that community. So it's the community testimony Mm -hmm. that ultimately becomes the focus rather than the individual testimony, Mm -hmm. right? So when we think about ourselves in our salvation as being brought into a community Mm -hmm. that is as a community to represent and reveal God throughout all the earth, then it doesn't matter what your marital status Mm -hmm. is. It doesn't matter whether you have children. You're a part of a community with a much bigger mission. Should God then bring you into a marriage relationship, you frame that marriage within that sense, that bigger purpose and mission. Mm -hmm. Should you not have children, you frame your life as a married couple without children through a sense of that bigger picture and participation in a community. Mm -hmm. That's where our individualism works against us so dramatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think about my my wife always talks about, you know, when she's talking to about marriage, she's, I don't know where she got it from. I don't know if it's great. You can tell me what you think about it. Uh, But it's this idea of you're running towards God and you just Mm -hmm. look right and left. And if you see somebody running alongside that you're attracted (laughs) to. Uh, and that wants to you, you think we can run together let's do it yeah. right uh, so and, and we I just go you know what I'm saying like because it's to the point I think you said it Priscilla earlier is that so many people are going the, the question I've asked my sister-in-law she's getting she's she's 16 years younger than I than we are and so many times when she's had boyfriends I go is this person is this person uh, helping you uh, uh, strengthening your, your walk with God or is it, mm-hmm. it it's always pulling you back mm-hmm. to your point of the, the the same question right and so sometimes I think we because we have this focus on I've got to get married that we just settle for any knucklehead you know what I mean or chicken headed person that, that comes along but if they're not running along the same direction then it's only going to make your, your uh, pursuit of the mission of God that much more difficult this is why I think Paul goes sometimes it's just good for people to be single because mm-hmm. you can just get a lot more done uh, in some ways and look as a, a father of two and married sometimes it's like man some days i can get a lot more done if i was single but i love being married and i love my wife and my kids when they listen to this they need to that's the key point right yes absolutely you see your single you see being single as where god has you at this point in your life to pursue god's mission absolutely and there may be a, t- a change in that there may not mm-hmm. uh, so i i think that we could say the concept of the mission of god and participation in the mission of god is not dependent upon one's marital or family status. On the other hand, we say without any hesitation, the way we live our marriages and the way we live our families is a critical part of the mission of God. Yes, that's good. And I think the breakup of families is a critical hindrance 
to the mission of God. Yes. Um, I feel like there have been marriages that we've looked at and seen them break up uh, for whatever reason and and been so saddened by the way the testimony of Christ has been hindered because of the breakup of that Christian marriage. And you just look at it and say, I wonder if they had been focused on the mission of God instead of on his happiness, her happiness, you know, my yeah. way, your way, whatever it was. Um, if they had really taken that sharper focus on the mission of God, mm. if they could have figured out a way to run side by side, even if there were issues that they yeah. needed to deal with. And I see people doing that yes. and saving, mm -hmm. even salvaging a marriage that was on the rocks and saving it and finding purpose and moving forward. So I think when we're not asking couples to consider the mission of God as the driving paradigm of their marriage, right. we're really doing them a disservice. That's yeah. very true. I yep. think you hear you hear sermons at weddings and they talk about love and they talk about the role of the husband and the role of the wife. Mm -hmm. And they never get to Paul's yeah. like I would say pinnacle verse in that passage. Yeah, and that is you know, it's a profound mystery. Right. I'm talking about Christ in the right, church. Right. We're so focused on these bitty things yes. that we don't get to the pinnacle. We don't ask the why and question. And we don't ask the why question. Mm -hmm. And so we set people up for not the best, let's say, not the highest that they can strive for in their marriage. And, and I think even a another sort of practical manifestation of that, because there are obviously the church and marriage, we're seeing a lot of people break up, right? But, yeah. Even, yeah. Those, yeah. but even those who stay in marriage and don't pursue the mission of God uh, yes. are, are still being, it, it, it still is a, a misrepresentation of That's the right. purpose yes. of marriage, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you have couples that are doing great, they're having a good time, I'm thinking about just people I know that, you know, that, that look at, the, that, that I talk to and they go, well, you know, I'm not giving I'm not giving to uh, anything that's for the mission of God. I'm not. I'm not spending my time doing that. And I think about giving, particularly because I'm thinking about a couple I know. And uh, and and then the next thing I know, they're buying a house in which they're putting themselves in more of a situation in which I can't yes. give. Yes. Right. And so that's a point. You go. Well, that's not the way this works, right? Or I'm. I. So I don't have enough uh, diverse relationships. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to move out of this neighborhood that more diversity is moving into into a relationship into a place there where it's people who are more like me, right? And 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 so those things they're moving away from the people who are are coming uh, maybe from international places that need to know God mm -hmm. they're moving away from those into, into more like comfortable Christian communities and so I think we have to hold accountable to those who have great marriages quote unquote to you still got to live out this mission of God which is to make more yes. people who make more of God right mm -hmm. and we say it in our house how, how do we how do we live in such a way as we can make God's name famous at all times yep. right mm -hmm. yeah and you're, and yep. we're quickly winding down our time sure. so maybe just one final question would be you were getting into I think those are great practical examples of what that of what looking at through at your marriage through this lens could look like you know practical sure. steps that would come out of seeing your marriage through this light just real quick how would you do that for your whole family what would be some practical ways to involve your children or you know extended family that kind of thing how how can you pull others into looking at your at, at your family unit your community what does that practically look like mark and priscilla let's start with you you know i i, I would say I got, i'm a teacher right so i'm always going to start with setting those that framework in place and so mm -hmm. the 
tendency toward satisfying ourselves at the expense of being meaningfully engaged in the lives of others uh, is constantly a struggle in our lives individually and in our lives as a family. So having the willingness to step back and say, before we decide where we're going to live, before mm-hmm. we decide yeah. how we're going to structure our finances or any other part of our life, ask being willing to ask that question, how does this contribute, as Marcus said, mm-hmm. to our ability to make Christ compelling in the lives of those who have contact with us? Mm-hmm. If we start there, mm-hmm. then the decisions about how we relate to each other, where we live, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what pursuits we have, fall into a bigger picture than, ah, I don't know if I like this or not, mm-hmm. or that doesn't satisfy me. Yeah, so and I think for me, like, I think my my gifts tend toward the areas of hospitality and encouragement. And for us as a couple, having people in our home yeah. and opening our home, um, even when we're tired, and in this job, we're tired all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we travel a lot, we're homeless. Um, but um, having an opportunity to just have people in our home and sit down with them and be hospitable and talk about, you know, what God is doing in our lives or, you know, what's up. I mean, whatever, just having people with us mm-hmm. um, has always been our greatest expression. You know, him in the classroom, us in our home has been our expression of of how we want to make Christ more compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's that that sense of really talking about Practically, as a, as a couple going, how do we want to do this and being intentional about it? Like, you can't right. just, it's not going to just happen. So, you got to, in this culture, it's not going to happen. So, you got to be intentional. And particularly with your kids, like if you, like Priscilla was saying, it's a very family focused sort of place, kid centric. If you don't talk about what you're going to do to engage your children in the mission of God, you won't do it. So, That's there are it. things that we we go, okay, begin with the end in mind. What do we want our kids to, to, to be like when they leave our house? What do we, what, how do we want them to understand the mission of God? So, we got to start doing things practically along the way whether it's hey we are selfish people and we like to hold on to our money it's like no we're gonna when you get paid we need to start looking at what percentage of this is going to go towards missions hey uh, when we go and do stuff on Saturdays it's not always gonna be just play sometimes we're gonna go serve uh, some friends at our our food pantry that we work with right Uh, when new neighbors move in we're not just gonna sit back and watch them do stuff we're gonna walk over there and we're gonna help them unpack their stuff you know just little things like that the type of relationships we're creating which parents and which kids we're inviting to our house do we want to diversify their network so it's Mm -hmm. it's a matter of going what do we want to accomplish and then you know reverse engineering and going here are the things we're going to need to put in place to get to that point but if you, for us if we don't start that we're not going to do it so we got to be sure about it yep. yeah, yeah. I think and you know our kids are grown now and they each have their own homes in dallas area and it's really with great joy that we see our kids like opening their front door and having a lot of people in yeah. mm-hmm. you know because that's how we raise them yeah. and it's great to see them encouraging others and drawing other people neighbors small group, whatever, you know, into their home. So we're seeing a little bit of it like going on. (laughs) This this is, I hate to cut off the conversation, but we are out of time. And I think it has just been a fantastic time of really looking at our marriage and our lives Mm -hmm. through the lens of the mission of God. So thank you so much, Mark and Priscilla and Marcus for joining us. And we could go on and on. I I know. know, You guys are great. You guys are great. (laughs) And thank you to those who have listened to us in this conversation. We hope that it has been beneficial and we just invite you to join us next week when we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table.
Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.